Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. Let your family have a break from you for a few minutes and join your entertainment family here on the Middle Seats Podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. Welcome to an action-packed, blockbuster-filled show. I'm driving the action behind this pod. I'm your host, Mr. Andrew J. Let's meet the people who are riding along in the back seat with me. I wouldn't let them sit shotgun. He's as stunning as a gorgeous sports car, Mr. Nate Longarini. Vroom, vroom. Hello, everybody. Hello, Nate. <laughs> they can't respond. That was the audience responding. Well, I appreciate it. They sounded very warm and welcoming. <laughs> Any conversation with him for longer than a minute is like being stuck in the red room, Mr. Jay Kensler. <laughs> Just a conversation with me turns people into murderous machines and assassins. Yeah. That does sound very accurate, actually. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a great show for you guys. Two of the biggest movies of the summer are here. We're reviewing both of them. Usually our show is divided into three segments. We've got a lobby talk segment where a member of the crew pitches a topic. We'll go back and forth on that for a few minutes. We'll still be doing that, but we'll be skipping news in lieu for two major reviews. One of the ninth installment in the Fast and Furious franchise, F9, the Fast Saga, and one of Black Widow. Both will have non-spoiler and spoiler sections. So if you have not seen the movies, you can still join us for this, these discussions of these movies that are really revitalizing theaters. We're not really going to talk about box office today, but both movies doing really well for the pandemic recovery period and definitely starting to set the mark of how we're going to go in terms of box office forward. So we can talk about that and all of the different things that have to do with these two movies coming up. But first, let's get into our Lobby Talk segment. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? block before you can make the lobby so guys we are gonna do a topic that i'm surprised we haven't done yet um four mcu movies we've reviewed uh and this never came up on a lobby talk which is looking ahead to phase four and beyond characters that are not in the mcu yet let's try to cast these roles let's try to pick somebody that we want to play a superhero or somebody that we haven't seen in the mcu yet they can be in other properties, like the Fox superhero, you know, saga with the X-Men, or they can be in the Fantastic Four movies, or they could have been in the Spider-Man Sam Raimi movies or whatever. But this is specifically for the MCU version of these roles. So let's start with Jake. Jake, pick a character and then give me who you want to see play them. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of casting been going on already. I was trying to think of like Spider-Man Sinister Six, but a lot of them have been cast some some of them multiple times, like in the Goblin. Uh, Venom's been cast multiple times. Like there's there's some tough ones to to go with. So I went with Doctor Doom, who has two pretty poor iterations, unfortunately for my guy Toby Kebbell. I like him a lot in uh, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, but yeah, poor is kind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I think he's a he's a good actor, but there's really nothing good about that movie. Um, I think we're really due for a really quality Doctor Doom, and I could see John Hamm doing it. John Hamm is yes. 
super, super suave. He's very engaging for, you know, men and women. There's something about him that you're kind of drawn to. He's got this charisma, but we saw in Baby Driver, he's got this wild, intimidating feature that he can just turn on. And Mm -hmm. I think he can really play a a quality villain. He's got, I've never even seen his bad stuff, his best stuff, which is supposed to be like Mad Men, but the things I have seen him in, I think he could totally fit. He could totally nail Dr. Doom and his menacing aspects, 100%. I love him. I I love him in general. Like, he needs to show up in more things. Like, we had that one little bit in Bad Times at the El Royale yeah. way back when, but that that was a while ago, and he was not in a lot of that movie. <laughs> a little fun fact about him, kind of adding to the conversation. In a world where the Fox X-Men movie continued, that series... He would have played uh, a character called Mr. Sinister. Oh, okay. That was teased at the end of X-Men Apocalypse. Obviously, that never came to fruition. But also was going to be teased directly at the end of New Mutants. Uh, but they cut that scene because New Mutants kind of exists in this apocalyptic wasteland. Where it's in between. <laughs> it's in between the end of the Fox franchise and the beginning of whenever the X-Men enter the MCU. But I completely agree. I think, you know, there are a lot of fan picks for Doctor Doom. Um, and it's usually a John Hamm type where it's like somebody that's like casually suave and charming, but also can play sociopathic, but with like a sardonic wit too. And he's shown he's been able to do comedy and menace. Like you were saying, Jake. Yeah. I think this checks all the boxes. I think that would be a really good casting. And I'm really excited to see how they eventually integrate this character into the MCU. Because from what I know about comics, he's a major deal. And like, we haven't even touched him yet. And it's been 10 years. Yeah, he's he's one of their big bands. He's one of like the the top dogs out there. I mean, I don't know if he's on a Thanos level as far as destruction, but as far as menace and overall chaos goes, he's like up there with Magneto and all those all those big players that are reoccurring. So we're we're definitely due. He's kind of comparable to the Lex Luthor on the DC side, where he can like you yeah. know take over the world, but also run for president and have a shot. You know, like <laughs> right, <laughs> which or John Hamm just rule a planet. Yeah, he's yeah. done that in the comics. <laughs> right. Nate, let's go to you. Yeah, yeah. So after the MCU collected all the Infinity Stones, you got to move on to your next set of things. And this one, it might be a little cliche, but it's been talked about forever. Marvel needs to collect its Chris's. Let's get Chris <laughs> Pine in the MCU. It's got to happen. <laughs> and my, my pick for him is going to be Cyclops because Cyclops is a beloved comic character who has had a wimpy-ass version in every single movie iteration of him thus far. Chris Pine is anything but a wimp. He's a do-gooder. He's he, We've seen him in Star Trek where he's very... He's got the leadership quality. He's got the, he's got the charm. I think he could make for a compelling and finally fun version of Cyclops. Yeah, they really did James Marsden dirty in the original X-Men Brian Singer trilogy. Like, uh, James Marsden is a very charismatic actor, and Cyclops is just such a stick in the mud when you compare him to Wolverine and Professor X and everybody around him. Mm-hmm. So, he, yeah. yes, they, they need somebody that's, like, handsome and charismatic that you would actually believe that Jean Grey wouldn't, like, immediately try to leave for you, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. And, right. uh, the, the only question is, would DC let him do it? I would. I would hope he was part of the Sony Spider Verse as like the the good Peter Parker. 
briefly. So right, right. I don't think it's completely out of the question. Um, but yeah, considering DC tried really freaking hard to bring him back for Wonder Woman 2, <laughs> even when the plot didn't make sense, I can see them having trouble letting him go. You got to figure <laughs> he's done in that role, though, based on what happens in that movie. Right? I would hope so. But I would have also said that at the end of the first Wonder Woman. And here we yeah. are. <laughs> <laughs> Ditto. Um, I, I like that pick a lot, though, Nate. I like I always felt like it wasn't necessarily James Marsden's fault. There's just not always a lot for Cyclops to do other than brood and feud with Wolverine. Um, but I know in the comics, he's supposed to be like outside of like, you know, Xavier's school when they're on mission, Cyclops, the leader, he's there. He's basically their captain America. Like he's due for mm -hmm. a really good iteration. I think Chris Pine could be a great choice. Yeah. You, you get none of that from the Brian Singer movies. I'm just thinking no. <laughs> back to like what his role is. He like, he kind of is that in the first one, but he's kind of a joke because Wolverine is like questioning his authority at every second. And then in the yeah. second mm -hmm. one, he's like, isn't he mind controlled for like the entirety of the second one, if I remember correctly? And, and disappears for a bit, yeah. Yeah, and then they yep. just they just slaughter him at the beginning of the third one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so he's just. Yeah, they he's really do. Reduced to sunglasses, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's the, thanks for coming out, James. Like three minutes of screen time or whatever. But yes, I I co-signed the Chris Pine pick. Jake, thumbs up for this one. Absolutely, Chris Pine's good in everything. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys went for like big 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 x-men and fantastic four roles because my pick it's a big it's a big name within marvel comics but i would also say that it's the second tier it's one of those fan favorite characters that are are still big in the grand scope of things but aren't like on a wolverine level in 2007 we got a movie fantastic four rise of the silver surfer which isn't a very bad movie it is not good i actually like i actually kind of like the first fantastic four uh, it's one of my guilty pleasure movies. I do not like that second one because they waste some great characters in that. Like they turn Galactus into this big like planet eating cloud instead of like this huge giant purple helmeted planet eater, which would have been so cool to see. And they waste a really cool portrayal of the Silver Surfer, who is who I'm going to be focusing on here. Lawrence Fishburne did the role, f the uh, voice for Silver Surfer in that 2007 movie. Doug Jones, who does a lot of stuff for Guillermo del Toro, he was the fish man in Shape of Water, he was the fish man in Hellboy, he was the <laughs> scary guy in Pan's Labyrinth, he played the actual Silver Surfer. So you could kind of have a dual role like that, so like somebody could stand in and somebody else could do the voice. The character of Silver Surfer, you need an actor that can be stoic, he can be menacing at times, but he also can be kind of introspective and also just kind of brilliant and carry the weight of the world uh, or the universe on their shoulders. Like, this person is, takes on so many different roles in the, like, grand scope of the Marvel Universe where they just know so much about the universe. And you have to believe that an actor can portray that kind of um, gravitas. And somebody that came to mind uh, for me that would be really good in, like, a voice role for the Silver Surfer is Lakeith Stanfield. Somebody that can really bring this big dramatic heft to it, but also can find, you know, these depths and dimensions in this humanity. Kind of kind of play the alien, but also play the human side of what the Silver Surfer might be, too. So that was somebody that I was looking through the list of movies that I've watched over the last five years and trying to find a perfect match. Everybody wants Keanu Reeves for Silver Surfer. I, I, I wouldn't hate that. I think that would be kind of cool as well, but I think that's a little obvious. I think Lakeith would be such a good fit 
four. Yeah, that's a very interesting choice. Yeah. Between the two, I would pick Lakeith as well. Yeah. You also need this kind of mysterious kind of voice as well. So, like, I think Lakeith mm-hmm. can definitely pull off the stoic yet engaging. Um, he would have to do some some flexing for, for sure, but I think it's a, a good choice overall. I'd definitely be curious about it. Yeah, this is a character I'm a little less familiar with, but in terms of personality trait, yeah, like Keith Stanfield has had some conflicting roles. Uh, we just reviewed Judas and the Black Messiah, where he's a very troubled character, and Silver Surfer being both like the guardian of this huge planet-devouring monster and also trying to be a decent guy at the same time. That could work. That could work really well. Yeah, and they like I'm trying to think back to the 2007 version. They can keep the character design. Every everything about the Silver Surfer worked in that movie. They just have to kind of like make it work. Put them in a good movie. movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, and and Lakeith Lakeith is a really good choice for it, in my opinion. So those are some of our MCU casting. Let's see how right we get it uh, in the next couple of years. Probably we're gonna go over three, but it's still fun. <laughs> it's still fun to look at. We'll roll the tape back if any of us makes it big, and then you can pay us at this email address (laughs) yeah yeah we should set up a venmo don't worry um we'll circle back to mcu stuff when we review black widow in about i would say like a half hour from now but for now let's talk about the ninth installment in the fast and furious franchise the 10th i guess the 10th overall let's talk f9 y'all ever thought about the wild missions we've been on and now we got cars flying in the air jacob is Dom's brother. You always say never turn your back on family, but you turned your back on me. Ready. So how do y'all want to play this? Fast. We're going. Oh, we're going. Oh, 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 Brother against brother. This should be interesting. Get, get, get back. Man, we messing with Magnus now. F9 comes in the year of the 20th anniversary of the Fast and Furious franchise. Who would have thought back in 2001 that the Fast and the Furious, Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, directed by Rob Cohen, car racing, melodrama, I guess you would call it, kind of action movie, I think is fair would turn into this multi-billion dollar franchise with a spin-off, nine proper installments, and a two-parter possible finale coming in the next few years. F9, of course, was originally supposed to be released pre-Memorial Day 2020, was has been pushed back many times. It's kind of, I would say, by a sizable margin, the biggest movie to come out since the pandemic hit in terms of theaters. Um, I mean, you could argue Tenet, you could argue Godzilla vs. Kong, but this is the one that is going to bring back the international audiences. Directed by Justin Lin, who did installments 3, 4, 5, and 6 in the franchise, left to do a Star Trek movie, and now is back. Obviously, Vin Diesel back, Michelle Rodriguez, Jordana Brewster, Tyrese Gibson, Ludacris, Nathalie Emanuel, John Cena as the villain, as his Dom Toretto's brother, Jacob. Uh, We'll get into the mechanics of that in a bit. Charlie Theron is back as the villain, Cypher. Uh, Helen Mirren returns. A lot of new parts of play, but also the old faces and a lot of craziness. Uh, If you've seen a Fast and Furious uh, movie, you know what you're getting with this. 
We'll get into the specifics of what happened in a bit. But first, Nate, right off the bat, what's your relationship with this franchise and what did you think of this ninth installment? Uh, let's see. These movies are all about family, right? So if Fast and Furious was my family, it would probably be at least five generations apart, like cousin of cousins of cousins. That sound right? <laughs> I've never been particularly attached is really what I'm getting at here. I've remember seeing f6 where like this franchise really built up a whole lot of hype of like oh my god these things are ridiculous now uh, you have to see them just for how crazy they can get and watching and being like okay yeah that was that was a that was a thrill ride what's next and then it just kept on going and going and going so now in terms of this movie it's it's the same thing <laughs> so all the stunts are crazy the situations they find themselves in are completely nonsensical. Cars are either killing machines in one moment and then the softest cushions for people to land on in the next moment. It's not going to make sense if you're going into the movie thinking it's going to make any sense. Where have you been for the last eight years, <laughs> right? Yeah, eight to ten. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. I. <laughs> it's hard to come down on firmly liking it or disliking it because it was exactly what I expected but I'm just overall not high on the moments Um, but I will say that Vin Diesel continues to be my least favorite part of these movies and I'll leave it at that it's a pretty common criticism that I've heard Jake it sounds like you have a similar thought on the series from what I've heard talking to you Um, but probably also a similar thought on on this specific installment Mm, yeah um this time around, blonde beards unite. Hey, I just, yeah, I I'm the same way. I have, I'm you know, frequent listeners are probably thankful that we're finally reviewing this, so we can move on and stop hearing me say the same things over and over again. But I've I haven't seen one <laughs> through four, and I think five, six, eight were mediocre. Seven was good, and then I just never really ever got excited for them. They're just not my kind of like Nate. They're just not my thing. I understand why people like them. But when I'm looking for big, crazy stunts, I'm looking at, like, Mission Impossible or John Wick. I'm not looking at Fast and Furious, really. So that being said, I, I 7 is the only one that I think is genuinely good or that I actually thoroughly enjoyed. And 9 does not stand out either. 9 is going to blend with 8, just like 6 and 5 blend. Like, I don't know. I think it's just, like, they're just fine. They're entertaining. They have their flaws. They're utterly ridiculous to the point where, like, physics? Nah. It's, it's kind of irrelevant at this point. We're in F9 now. So I there's just certain elements that I can't get behind. And there are certain characters that are like, like Nate said, Dom is frankly ridiculous. And there are points where I'm like, like there was one point, I'm sure we'll get into spoilers, where I'm like, oh, logistically speaking, they just killed Dom Toretto. I know that's not the case, but logistically speaking, he's dead. He's dead Again. twice. <laughs> He's dead a third time. Like, there's just no reason that this guy's alive. I'm sure it's more than three times. In, in this movie alone, I counted <laughs> a, a, good, a good three in being generous. Like, <laughs> I was like, come on, guys. Um, and also, I might be the minority here, but in the theater, there was a decent amount of laughter. My audience was enjoying this, which was pleasant. It was pleasant to have a fun audience enjoying a movie. Even if I was not with them, it was fun to have that experience again. Um Generally, these were people who like must have liked this franchise. There was a bunch of guys with their girlfriends and guys with their guy friends and me. And uh, 
<laughs> um, but a lot of people were laughing at Tyrese and thinking like, I don't know, most of the time he was on screen, they were laughing and his jokes really didn't land for me. I was like, your jokes about being invincible are not as funny as Ryan Gosling's and the nice guys. And I don't know. I just don't, he just wasn't working for me. The action I felt like I had kind of seen before, except they're trying to top themselves. So I don't know. I was under the impression that it was mediocre. <laughs> the fact that you, you pinpoint Furious 7 is an interesting one to me because I, I'm definitely higher on this franchise than you guys are. It is all about tone for me when it comes to these things. The movies are very clearly in on the joke that they're bad and they get away with a lot because of that. Um, they they deliver on spectacle and they deliver on stupidity and I think both can be valuable in different ways. But they the one thing that they lack at this point is actual genuine emotional investment. Uh, which is something that Furious 7, which I think is the franchise's apex, and I don't think it's ever going to like circle back around to what that movie was. It was such a cultural moment. It was a huge, huge, huge box office hit. Of course, it had the extra uh, little kick of that being Paul Walker, Walker's last one, and then mm-hmm. doing the really nice and touching tribute that really could have been a series finale if they wanted it to. But money talks, so they kept going. And everything that's come after that, I think five through seven are better than you guys give it credit for. I think those movies are really fun and well choreographed action movies. Uh, I, I generally am of the same opinion as, as you on eight and this one. Uh, Hobson Shaw is pretty fun, uh, but that's its whole separate thing. Justin Lin coming back. He's got a good eye for action moments. This movie is never boring. This movie will never be accused of being boring. There is so much going on. I know, I, funny in the way, not that like Jake is saying, I agree that a lot of the Tyrese material doesn't land this time around. A lot of the comic relief is just kind of like hackneyed at this point. But it's just so ridiculous. And my my girlfriend and I were among those laughing our ass off <laughs> at the movie. So Jake would have hated us, I think. Uh, but I just would have felt alone again. <laughs> it, it, the, like, we got to go see the movie together, Jake. I right feel well. like this is happening a lot. Between I, I, well had a, I had a good time with this, but I am not going to stand for this movie and argue for this movie. There, there is serious franchise fatigue kicking in. Uh, like There are things that are it's, it's trying to get away with that just don't work. The story is such an afterthought to the point where it's actually towing the line of insulting. Uh, <laughs> like, like you, yes, you can get away with plot holes, but there are some here where I'm like, you need to at least try to explain this. Like, yeah. just, just throw me a one line of dialogue, please. <laughs> um, and a big point that I think will be a good pivot point for us to get into specifics is this movie has a lot of familial drama in it. And I know the other ones have family drama in it, but this one is just... It is so much. It is so it's much. It's a vin- soap opera. Right. It is so much. It's a soap vin- opera with car chases. Right. It is. <laughs> get him, Nate. Well, what What do you mean get him? I, I agree. <laughs> I know. I know. But he's yelling. So now I got to amp him up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is so much Vin Diesel and it is so much John Cena's character and it is so much the flashbacks for that where the acting and the oh, those flashbacks were all brutal to sit through. Yeah. And. There's a lot of that stuff, and it honestly takes away from the final grade because it distracts from the stuff that I really want to see, which are the absurd action sequences, which for the most part for me worked like they were supposed to. Exactly. Like, I'm in total agreement there. If you want to pitch yourself as the campy, ridiculous movie that can get away with anything, then they needed to invest way less time in all of these flashback scenes. I, I didn't mind the first one, and then, like, there was the the breakup moment where 
Vin Diesel's younger self and John Cena's younger self separate where I'm like, okay, that at least track tracks for me. I can get behind that as a plot motivator. And then every time we go back, it's just like, nope, this is working less and less with each time we flash back here. Pick pick a lane, to be frank, if we're nice. going to do highway, uh, <laughs> highway analogies here. Be fun or be a soap opera, but trying to mix the two together when I'm already kind of off the boat here with this franchise did not do it any favors for me. I was I was pretty bored of them by the by the end. So I will use that B word. Yeah. Two uh two notable housekeeping things before Jake you jump in again. Uh Vinny Bennett plays the young Dominic in this movie, which there are a lot of flashbacks that take place in the nineteen eighties. We won't go into specifically what happens in those flashbacks till spoilers, but like that kid who plays young Dominic somehow makes Vin Diesel look like Shakespeare. I, he is <laughs> He is brutal. And then this kid that plays young John Cena, uh, Finn Cole, he's not much better. Uh, and he d- he doesn't look like John Cena, like, even in the slightest. Uh, Neither and, of them look like their respective characters. I, I thought the guy who played Diesel looked closer, but yeah. They're I, bald. That's the only similarity. I, I mean, one of the fine. characters, we'll get in, we can get into it later, but one of the characters literally says the only thing that combines the two is a similar chin, right? Their jawline. Yeah is the only thing that makes them look like brothers. And then second point, this is the first movie in the franchise that is not written by a screenwriter named Chris Morgan, who has done everything since Tokyo Drift. Um, So he's done three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and Hobbs and Shaw. And that's significant because he he had really found a rhythm of what these movies are supposed to be in terms of story and character and how much to balance set pieces versus drama. And these and Justin Lin takes over co-screenwriting with this guy Daniel Casey, and it feels like that that rhythm is just slightly off. Like I don't think a normal person would notice it, but us having seen the most recent ones and critically analyzing it, you can tell somebody else is writing this because, you know, it's it's trying to replicate a formula, but it's not quite nailing it. Yeah, I actually I didn't mind some of the um, the young Dom, young Jacob flashbacks just because it added a little bit more context. So like I didn't mind some of them, but I agree by the end I was like. All right, we don't like we're getting like three endings, and one of them is back at that racetrack. And I was like, "There's a flashback scene toward the end," and I was like, "All right, enough with the flashbacks. This movie's already over two twenty, and it wasn't working for me in the beginning. It's not working for me now." <laughs> As a whole, it's mainly the. No, it's not even CGI. I'm okay with CGI. I think I just prefer more practical stunts, I guess. And these are just like leaps in logic with how crazy can we make things look and. I don't know. I don't totally get on board all the time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the acting isn't great top to bottom either. Plus, I think you missed The Rock a little bit. I, you, you know what? You just took the words out of my mouth. That's what I was going to transition to next. Um, obviously, The Rock is – or he wants to be called Dwayne Johnson. So Dwayne Johnson – That's going to take a while. Yeah. Is not, <laughs> it, is not in this movie. Uh, he had beef with Vin Diesel and Tyrese. They have since patched it up. So I expect him to return for the 10th installment. Uh, but Jason Statham and Dwayne Johnson went off and did their own spinoff. They are not in this proper one. And while it's nice to see the crew again as a fan of the series, like I like seeing Michelle Rodriguez again and seeing Ludacris again and Tyrese, you really do miss what The Rock brought to the franchise because he really revitalized it with the fifth one. Uh, I, I credit a lot of the franchise's like big boost to him um, because Vin Diesel was around when these movies were bad, but The Rock wasn't, you know? And mm. 
you know, it, it really is missing an element of him. But then again, there is so much else going on in this. There, was, there would be no room for his character to breathe. It would be similar to Furious 7 where he's in it at the beginning and then we don't see him for like an hour. And then he probably would have came back and done something fun in the finale. But at that point, it's just kind of like we have so much else to service, including the return of Han, who is another major character in this franchise uh, that, for lack of a better word, has been brought back from the dead. Like they, they kind of show his backstory too, and those flashbacks plus the Dom and Jacob flashbacks. I was like, okay, guys, we really had it's again. It's a soap opera, and also <laughs> how like they they re- they needed to explain more about how he's alive, other than like trickery of the eye. <laughs> we'll get into the specifics of like that flashback because I, I have a bone to pick with that as well. Uh but the problem is they bring him back and they don't really even integrate him well because this movie is just like crammed with things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I already don't have an attachment to him because I didn't see the originals, but I was like, do we really do we really need him back? Like, like honestly, as a guy who hasn't seen the first four, is this unnecessary in any way, shape, or form, Andrew? Like, it just it goes to one of my biggest issues with a movie this campy is that there's so many quote-unquote dangerous situations but the movie is actively taking away all stakes in the situation you know vin diesel can't lose a fight because it's literally in his contract right right (laughs) um and they aren't going to kill off any substantial characters or if they do they're going to bring them right back like they did with han here there was just nothing to grab onto as to why i should care why this body is flying through the air and is going to get caught by this car. Right. Because I just, I know how it's going to happen before the wheels even lift off the ground. So you extrapolate that over the entire course of not just this movie, but this series, and it gets really old really fast. Yeah, and Spectacle could only carry you so far. And you can make similar comparisons to superhero movies, you know, where, yeah, characters will die and then come back or whatever, and... You're probably right, and that might be my own biases speaking out here, but at least I care. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? and there's more to it's the execution. It's hard for me to care about any of the characters here because they're all just very one note. And when they try to go emotional with it, it falls flat in his face because it's relying on Vin Diesel and similar acting skills. I think a better comp than superhero movies is like, and this is a very modern franchise with its culturally diverse cast. And the reason, Jake, the reason they bring back Han is because he's such a fan favorite. And of course, he's another piece of cultural diversity that they can add to this very That's true. international cast. But the better comp from superhero movies is 80s action movies where Schwarzenegger would run into a room, there'd be 50 guys, and he would mow everybody down. They'd all be shooting at him and miss, you know, that that kind of thing. Like the invincibility <laughs> of those characters that don't really have any depth whatsoever. We're not attached to them in any way beyond just the visceral thrill of seeing them do theme park ride stuff. And if you're willing to go with it that way, great. Like that's what this franchise is at this point. It's, it's It has lost, like I said, by Furious 7. That was the last chance that this franchise had at actual emotional gravitas. The rest... We're just here for the for the action and the stunts now. I, Jake, I think you undersold it a little bit earlier. I think that there is some really good practical effects that are around CG. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, there there are a lot of good car crashes in this. There's a lot of good stunt driving. It's the use of magnets. Yeah, but that's the point. Like, 
you can you see the cars blow up, but it's all lent by CG. So I half agree with you and half disagree with you on that point. Um, and that, that's that's really what it comes down to for me. And we should get into ratings here and transition into spoilers because there is a lot of like minuscule things that we can pinpoint that we can't talk about now. But basically, it come it comes down to whether you're willing to go with it or not, and how much you're willing to go with it. And I think our ratings are going to vary on that. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time. Uh, we operate on the seat scale here on the Middle Seats Podcast. If we think a movie is perfect with no flaws whatsoever, we give it a royal throne. If we think a movie is really good uh, but has major flaws, we get a plus recliner. If we think a movie's solid but has some major flaws, wooden seat. If we think a movie is bad but with some good things in it, damp lawn chair. Horrible movie gets a sleazy outhouse. And then we also label whether you should take a bag of popcorn into the theater to see it in theaters as opposed to waiting at home. Obviously, there's only one option for this one. Some of the past reviews we've done, you can watch it at home or go to the theater. Right now, you have to go to CF9 on a big screen. Jake, you have to go anyway. It's been a year. Yeah, yes. They, that's a great point. Um, <laughs> what's your what's your rating? Uh, this is an easy wooden seat for me. This is not a bad movie, but this is a movie that just, you know you know exactly what you're going in, you know, what you're getting when you're going in. And you already know if you like it or you don't. Um or where you stand, rather. So I'm not in the. I'm in the. You know, in the middle of that. I don't dislike these movies, but the only one I actually like is just the seventh one. So for me, this is an easy wooden seat, and like, yes, bag of popcorn because you know it's like it's it's Fast and Furious. It's big and it's loud, and there's action. Sixty five percent of the movie or more, like you know, it, it's basically all it is. It's go 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 action. Here's a little bit of plot to move it forward. Go 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 action. So like, you go see it in the theaters, but. Honestly, I also think you would probably be okay if you missed it in theaters and see it at home. I still feel like like the theater experience is always better, but you still kind of get the gist of, of it at home, I think. So I'll always promote theater and I'll say bag of popcorn, but yeah, this movie is just, you know, leaps in logic to get to the next action scene and basically just trying to shove entertainment down your throat and shut your brain off as long as possible. And that's fine, but only for so long. So with the ninth installment of this... I don't know. The only way I want to see, I mean, I'm going to see the 10th one regardless. We're going to review it in three years. But the only way I want, like really want to see the 10th one is, you know, go ahead, grow a set of balls and go to Jurassic Park. Do it. Yeah. Really? The the crossover has to be coming. (laughs) Jake, really quick. How did you see the movie? Dolby, IMAX, just regular? Uh, Dolby. Okay. I did IMAX. Nate, I assume you did Dolby. I am the Dolby boy. That is what I did. All right, you can you can launch into your rating now too, Dolby Boy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a funny uh, saying. <laughs> I will definitely sign on to what Jake is saying. You already know, listeners, whether you like this or not. There's no way that you don't have an opinion on this franchise yet, or at least if you haven't seen this and it's your first time hearing about it, I'd watch one of the better ones before I'd start with this. But you can probably hop right in and get as much as I care about these movies. Um, <laughs> still get the gist. Still get the gist. You know, I think that's what I did. I don't think I've seen anything before four and then like half of the first one. I don't even remember. They all blur together in my head as well. Uh, and this one totally is going to do that with, with eight and nine being just very similar in terms of humor, in terms of types of stunts, in terms of just how ridiculous it gets. I'll go wooden seat, but it's a lot less solid. <laughs> like, my personal ranking might be more like a damp lawn chair, just in terms of my aptitude for the source material here. But, like Jake said, it's not 
poorly made for what it's trying to do. It's just too long for what it's trying to do. So with that in mind, I'm not going to give this a bag of popcorn moniker uh, unless you're already a big fan. I think this is much better served at home where you can talk with your your family or buddies or whoever's coming over and probably have a drink or two. You can have a Corona and cheers with Dom and (laughs) move on with your life and just laugh at the ridiculous moments and talk while the stupid moments that you don't care about are happening. That's probably how I'll handle this franchise going forward. Yeah, I, I, I think at this point, the chance of you having a great audience has sailed, so I could definitely buy into that. I still think... I still will always value the theater experience for big movies like this. Um, I'm also going to go wooden seat. Uh, I think it's a little bit of a sturdier wooden seat than the two of you, but I think it's I'm generally in the same range as you. I think all of our criticisms are around the same. I just think I had a little bit more fun. I think it's as simple as that. And I think I, a lot yeah. of people know what they're going for uh, and are going to enjoy it. Uh, but there, there are elements that made other installments better that are lacking. Uh, and I think this is a good chance to pivot into spoilers. If you have not seen F9, some of the stuff we're about to say, you're not going to believe is from the same movie we started talking about. Um, but if you have seen it, of course, you know what's coming. Let's talk about it. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! So, Jake, you touched on it briefly in the non-spoiler section, but this movie has a self-awareness uh, where the characters are talking about how invincible they are at this point and this movie really stretches the logic of that i was okay with the jokes because i thought it was kind of like a cute wink wink but there's been i know it's been a very mixed reception to that kind of awareness mm-hmm. yeah it just i don't know when i heard people laughing around me consistently i was kind of like oh really all right i guess it's just not landing for me then like i'm, I'm pretty outnumbered here in the theater um but it's it it's some of that like like Tyrese has made me laugh in the past, as is ludicrous. Like I think they kind of have a fun, real, you know, repertoire going. But I don't know. They didn't totally work for me in this movie either. They were just kind of there to to be the the hype men slash stunt men slash muscle astronauts. kind of astronauts astronaut <laughs> short astronauts. yeah slash comedic relief. Like they're just kind of there for whatever the plot the plot needs them to do at this point. I don't know. I guess in that sense it works, but for me it just it just felt generic and unoriginal it didn't make me laugh it didn't open my eyes it didn't you know get me on the edge of my seat it was just kind of okay i'll sign on with that jake like the unoriginal factor i think is what's really getting to me here we've kind of had oversaturation of meta humor like this in the last five years like deadpool being one of the big examples of just like being in on the joke so for a series like this to try to just do the same thing it, it feels a little stale well, and this came out five, ten years ago. Maybe I'd feel differently, but we're just getting so much fourth wall break now. So for this franchise to be doing the same thing, it's just one extra layer of cheesiness on a pizza that's already five stories high. <laughs> I half disagree and I half agree. I think the the franchise's self-awareness predates Deadpool and it goes back all the way to Fast Five. What What the problem is here now is that it's like when somebody tells you a joke and then explains the joke. You know, yeah. it, it's incredibly literal uh, about the invincibility of the characters and the Looney Tunes-esque physics of it. So in that way, it's stale. But I think it's just continuing what it's been doing, just explicitly saying it now. Yeah, because mm-hmm. like I understand 
I understand the jokes, and I don't. I honestly, I don't blame them for trying. Like Nate said, it's a relatively popular thing to be to be doing right now for some franchises. So I don't blame them, especially with new writers. Where can we take this? But I, I, Andrew kind of has a point when you joke around about being invincible, and then you have Dom fight off like fifteen professional soldiers on like some rig above water and then he plunges in and like is rescued and is After okay he pulls and chains to bring yeah, the building around, but, around like, him. but like also why didn't why did he have to like go back and sacrifice himself he could have just went with everybody that was the big thing for me in that sequence. Like I don't know, but it's got to be something about family. Michelle Rodriguez's character is standing there the entire time. She's supposed to be leaving while he buys them time. Right, right? that was yeah, the whole point. He, the whole he stopped. Yeah. She just watches the whole that thing. That was a problematic scene for me. He stopped to quote-unquote yeah, sacrifice himself, and she watched the whole thing, and then he dies, but then she saves him, and I'm like, this all could have been avoided if you ran. Yeah, but it's and like he's throwing people into the same water that he survives. <laughs> Nobody else lived and all that. It's just a dumbass scene. Yes, yeah, so that's why I'm like, I know you're joking around about being invincible, but like you kind of made your Dom character invincible. So yeah, I- <laughs> Let, let's rapid fire some of the stupid things in this, uh, which there's a lot of it. I, I, the space stuff, it was fun enough. I didn't have an issue with it. I, again, it, it is it is going on the internet and taking the joke literally and doing that to an extreme. But everybody's been asking them for the to do that. I was fine with that. There, like some of these other plot reveals, like. They don't even try to explain that whole Cardi B reveal, uh, which is, which is a, like, like it just, I, it just I happens. didn't know if like she had appeared in a previous movie nope. and I just missed yeah. it. No, no, just flat out shows up armored truck. Okay. Honestly, <laughs> like all, that was one that I, I scratched my head at and just kind of went, whatever. Right. All, okay. these, <laughs> all these video girls just happen to have armor and are able to break him out. Like they did, like nobody could tell that all of these like armored soldiers are like five four and are like, you know, <laughs> pack packing booties, you know, like and, and like yeah, n- not not the mm-hmm. right height or structure. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> so that was a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Helen Mirren's character is completely nonsensical. There's oh, just I, no reason to bring her in. I that actually made me chuckle. Oh, though. I her. love I loved her. Maybe my favorite in the movie though. Okay, her basically what ends up being a cameo, right? Like, yeah, I really fully either forgot or wasn't expecting her to be in this. So when she showed up, I was like, all right, I, I, I could I could ride with that. She's so clearly not driving. It's adorable. Like, yeah, <laughs> she's very clearly like, talking to him. I, I will give that scene the fact that it felt the most tame out of all the big stunts. You know, it's just back to street racers being street racers and thieves instead of international super spies. So I, I guess that's going back to its roots. <laughs> yeah, I think they try to get in at least one per movie. So to get Helen Mirren to do it, I was kind of like, all right, this yeah. this is mm-hmm. there's an element of fun to this that I can yeah. get on board with. But like Mr. Nobody and the whole bit with Han protecting this girl and also coming back from the dead. I, that was dumb, right? They're, they're, I, I didn't get on board for any of that. They, it, was, it was such an unsatisfying explanation that I just kind of was like, whatever. He basically like, was like, Kurt Russell has his ways. And the audience I, like, went, I believe you. It, it is not good. <laughs> it's not good when a franchise explains something and I'm more confused than I was when I came mm-hmm. into <laughs> waiting for the reveal. Like, I, basically I still really don't. chalked it up to like, like visionary trickery. Like, Yeah, right. Like, Okay, what? <laughs> he, he doesn't have a single yeah. scratch on him anywhere like we saw him crash mm-hmm. if i was lucas black i would be super confused as well like 
Um, yeah, that that whole explanation, same thing with the Cardi, similar to Cardi B. Honestly, it happened, and I kind of just scratched my head and went, "What? Never mind. It's probably not important." Yeah, real quick because it transitions better from the Han stuff. The the whole the MacGuffin, the Ares thing is such a repeat of the God's Eye thing and whatever mm-hmm. they did in the eighth. It's so nondescript that it's so. Again, that's what I'm talking about. Almost insulting, where it's like, oh, what? Like, why? Why do we even need this? Like, just make it a revenge story. Like, why does there have to be more to this? Because uh, I guess yeah, you gotta I get like that's didn't F six do that? Where it was just like one guy trying to take down the Furious Squad. Well, or am I mixing them up again? Yeah, I think I, I think there's a I think there's a device in that too, but I cannot no, remember great. what it is. F seven F seven has the God's Eye thing, but it also has Jason Statham just literally trying to kill Dom. Like he just Jason mm-hmm. Statham just shows up to the action scenes in the seventh one. He's like he's not even a part of the yeah. movie until he becomes it. It's like all right, whatever. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, we have not talked about John Cena at all yet, and I think confirmed John Cena not as fun as The Rock when you're gonna bring wrestlers into this franchise. Well, like like he, he's serious the whole time, but he he's also boring. How how is he boring? I don't think it's his fault. I think they asked him to kind of mirror Vin Diesel instead of mirroring The Rock. Because I've seen John Cena be funny before, many yeah. times. He has great comedic timing. But he's, he, yeah, he's given nothing to work with here. He's playing this guy who already is like a sad sack little brother who appears to be really bad at his job. Like, we never see him be good as a secret agent or whatever he is. Uh, but he tells us we're in his world now. Right. He has to be good, right? Like, that's all the character development we get we never see him do something good we're just he's told he's, he's like good. really good at being elusive and like ziplining <laughs> from building to building like <laughs> which is the stupidest way to travel <laughs> he, he, he's really good at escaping is what jake is saying <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i i thought he was like i thought he was fine like he checked the box i didn't really have any problems with him but he didn't add as much as i was hoping either but are you okay with him suddenly becoming a good guy at the end because his plans failed that's his only motivation for switching well, sides. Yeah, Nate, it's about family. <laughs> right. Come on. I, I do think it was a little rushed. Somebody, I saw an alternate take where somebody was like, he should have been ambiguous at the end of this, and then at 10, that he could become good, kind of like what they did with Statham in 7 and 8. Uh, oh, my God. Andrew, you're not listening. It's about family. Okay, but family has family fights sometimes. <sighs> they they got to they gotta wrap it up in the last 20 minutes to make sure it all ties into family. Families fought for the last three movies. Michelle Rodriguez's character was evil for a movie, yeah. and then Vin Diesel was evil for a movie, even though it was the stupidest contrivance ever. Speaking of family, like I know, I know there's no good workaround from this, but there is no way that you can tell me that Brian O'Connor, Paul Walker's character, would have heard about all this happening, and he would have stayed home to babysit. Like again, no good workaround. But like. <laughs> it, it make it, it kind of retroactively makes that character like more selfish that he just stays home to babysit and yeah. then he shows up to like the, the cookout at the end in the nice car or whatever which oh my god I was really afraid they were going to have a CG version of him come out of that car at the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah stick to one and done there right. also as far as family and John Cena goes I, th- I know this has been said a bunch of times but just for the for the record on this podcast no, no more surprise evil family members. That this is, has to be the last one. Like I, it's, I, it's got to be the end. Just no more surprise family in general. Yeah, cut it's it overdone. Out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, this has to be the last one. <laughs> uh, really quick, because we gotta, we gotta move on to our second review here soon. Uh, Charlize, right. easiest paycheck she's ever made in her life. 
uh, gets yeah. to mm-hmm. gets to say somebody is Yoda with. I a, did not like that. I, <laughs> it would have been fine if the like the rich Playboy dude. I forget horrible what his name villain. Is, Otto, horrible yeah, he was stupid. If he didn't make the Star Wars jokes, literally the yeah. scene—not even the scene before, like the frame before—she <laughs> yeah. made all those jokes. It would have been fine. But the fact that it was just like a five-minute bit. On, yeah. Oh, let's just list all these popular characters. We're cool and hip, guys. Are you How kidding, you do, fellow kids? I, I'm, I'm the Luke in this story. Well, I'm at least Han, Chewbacca. Oh, I'm Yoda. <laughs> oh, not in that way either. Okay, anybody else? You, you want to be Vader? How about Palpatine when your dad dies? Like. Shut up. Yeah. It sucks that Charlie's there and is going to be the last final villain of this franchise because she's easily one of my least favorite parts. I hope she brings her A game. We know she's got it. I don't think that's fair to her. I think the character is dumb. You know? <laughs> but that's the hill that they're dying on. They've kept her alive for this long for this reason. You're, yeah, we're in this, right. I bet they I bet they tie her into the mysterious villain we didn't see at the end of Hobbs and Shaw and it's one big long thing. Like we said, the finale is supposed to be Ugh. two parts. All right. Final thoughts here. You get to bring up one more stupid thing and then wrap it up, Nate. Uh, the stupid thing is just Vin Diesel, take a freaking hit. That's all I want. I just want you to take a hit so I say, oh, wow, he might actually be in trouble here and somebody might need to come and save him. But instead, he's just all macho man all the time, always by himself, even though he's preaching family the whole bit. I hate him. I hate him. Stop. <laughs> All right. Whatever. This this franchise is silly. This movie is silly. It's more of the same. Move on. Jake? Um, to echo on that, I also just don't think Vin Diesel's like great as an actor. I get he pulls off the action movies, but I don't know. I'm I'm never like impressed with him. That could not be less of a hot take. If you try, I, know. <laughs> I, I think he's one of the highest paid actors of all time because everybody goes to see his movies. So he's also, he's, yeah, he's the executive producer of all these two, as you can tell. Yeah. But I will say my, I guess one of my last ones is also kind of Vin Diesel based at the end. They go to the track that is in the flashback to where his dad died and he, t- he goes to his son and he's like, see this, this is where I learned everything I know. And I almost out loud went bullshit. What are you talking about? It's all about family or is it all about the, the track that you grew up on and went to jail for? Or is it all about saving the world like what what are you talk you learned everything you never learned on this track and then went to jail and then 30 years later you're saying shut up so corny and cheesy and right. it doesn't work they also like they also take so much time to decriminalize dom here like oh he was just he was just <laughs> lashing out he's not actually a bad guy and it's like he could be a criminal like that's that he could he, yeah. in his past you don't have to retcon that and again that's vin Blech. yeah <laughs> I, i'm i'm really quick I agree with everything stupid being said. One thing that bothered me was that a lot of the action scenes uh, have a lot of collateral damage in them. Like, all the stuff with the magnets, like, they are definitely killing hundreds of innocent innocent people. And, like, if the DC movies don't get a pass for that, uh-huh. like, this shouldn't either. I felt, like, kind of icky about all of that stuff a little bit. This movie is more cartoonish than, like, the DC you could ever aspire to be. So I don't really think about it as much. L- listen, you're going to have fun if you know what you're getting into. You just your your levels of fun may vary and your level of patience may be tested. I had a decent enough time with it. F9, we'll talk about the future installments when they come by. Let's move into our next feature review. This is a big one. If F9 wasn't big enough, this is even bigger. Let's talk about Black Widow. We have to go back to where it all started. My girls girls in the world. Put your seatbelts on. She's still 
Watch your One thing's for sure. I'm done running from my past. Black Widow is the 24th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the first since July of 2019. Spider-Man's Far From Home, of course, a little thing called the coronavirus pandemic, kind of negated a lot of the releases. Black Widow was supposed to come out the same month as F9 in May of 2020. It has been postponed at least three times, I think maybe four. July 9th was the day that it finally hit theaters. It is a prequel of sorts. Sort of a sequel, most, mostly like a prequel, kind of like a backstory filler for Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, who, spoiler for the highest grossing movie of all time, passed away in Avengers Endgame. This takes place in between Captain America Civil War and Avengers Infinity War, that two-year period where she's on the run. She kind of goes back and deals with a lot of her stuff from her past, including confronting her own family, sort of. We'll get into that in a bit, uh, but... A really good supporting cast to Johansson in this one. The movie's directed by Kate Shortland, who has done, done a lot. It stars Florence Pugh, who plays her sister, Yelena. Play, stars oh. David Harbour, who plays Alexi, uh, and who is her father figure. And it stars Rachel Weiss, who plays her mother figure in, looking up her name, Melina. Melina Vos, Voskov. They're all, they're all Russian, folks. Uh, Ray Winstone plays the big bad... Uh, couple of other important persons. William Hurt back as General Thunderbolt Ross. Let's talk about Black Widow. Nate, were you satisfied? Was it worth the wait? This movie, I feel like, is going to draw a lot of, I want to say, like, unnecessary criticism just because of the timing of it all. Not only did we wait for this movie for COVID, but we also got this at such a weird stage in the MCU where it feels like it should have came out in chronological order for us to care as much, you know, because this is Black Widow's origin story, if you will, like her really coming into her own. But we already know how her story began and ends. So it's it's a little bit of a bummer in that regard. Um, but the MCU can't go back in time and release this five years ago. So that's where we would are. Would you call it an origin story? I would call it like a, I would I would more call it like a solo film. You know what I mean? That also deals with her origins in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a combination of, of all of them. In terms of the movie, on its own merits, it's an entertaining movie. I really like the supporting cast. I think that these are all really fun, new additions to the MCU. Really great characters. I, I think I finally caught on to the Florence Pugh train that you guys have been choo-chooing for along, the last brother. couple of years now. <laughs> she was... She was fantastic. If and you didn't see Midsummer, you, then you missed the train at, at its first stop. You caught it eventually. Yeah, Little, little Women <laughs> yeah. was the was the propulsive uh, one forward for most people. Yeah, so her character was super fun and gave Florence a lot of ways to move, both in dramatic role and the comedic role, and she absolutely slayed it. David Harbour was a lot of fun. All the rest of the characters, Scarlett Johansson included, are a little bit more serious um, even more serious than the typical MCU movie would be. There's a lot less quips in this one, um, for sure, and a lot darker themes, especially in the, the intro that we'll get to. Um, so overall, I enjoyed this movie. I thought it was solid. It was about what I expected. 
Yeah, it just it really boils down to when you already know how the story ends, is the story compelling? And unfortunately, I don't think it's as compelling because of the timing. Jake? Um, I think it was an interesting middle chapter. Um, I know it takes place in between Civil War and Infinity War. And I think it it works better as, like, parts and not an overall sum. You know what I mean? Like, there are parts in this movie that I think are great and that, you know, enhance the overall MCU story. But this movie on its own as an individual is just pretty good. There's some things that work and some things that don't. The things that it does well, I really like. And then there's some things that were really, really lacking. Um, most of the stuff revolving around villains, bad guys, evildoers, and antagonists was lacking, like, quite a bit. But giving Black Widow her time to shine as, you know, at front and center and going into her background and her origins and her family and what happens and what all of that means and giving her a little bit of redemption was all done really well. Um Agreed with Nate. Florence Pugh is the MVP. I'm all aboard the hype train. Loved her in Midsummer. Loved her in Little Woman. Loved her in this. She's one of our best rising actresses. And I can't, I will watch anything she's in at this point. I think she's great every time. Also love David Harbour. Uh, he was a pretty close second. He's just a lot of fun. He's goofy, but, you know, there's a little more to him than that. He's deeper. You can see he's insecure, even though he can toss a tank with one hand. The, and then after that, I agree the supporting cast gets a little bit weaker. The overarching themes in the MCU work here, but on its own, it's just kind of decent. It could be better. The point that you guys are making about its placement in the MCU, I think, is very valid. I saw a proposal on Twitter a couple of days ago that I really liked, and it basically said that Black Widow should have come out when Captain Marvel did, and you could have removed Captain Marvel from Endgame. You could have found a different way for Stark to be found. You could have found a different way to defeat Thanos at the end. So, like, you know, you fill in all this information about Natasha right before she meets her end, and that gives it even more impact. Not that there, like, there was already plenty of sadness to go around when Natasha died in that movie, but this would have even gave it, like, way more. You know what I mean? Just because, like, this fills in the blank spaces that we didn't know about her. Uh, it does a it does a really good job wrapping up her backstory and having her confront her demons, and it has a really good backbone to it in terms of control and girl power and independence, confronting all the mistakes she's made so that she fully, not that she wasn't already, but she fully transforms into the hero Avenger. I think pretty much all of that stuff works. I think all the supporting cast stuff works, like we said. Um, I generally agree. It's a lower-end Marvel movie for me, but I still had a good time with it. I think it's entertaining. I think the action scenes are fun enough. It has a good sense of humor. I think momentum is huge for this movie. I think it gets off to a pretty bad—I would say outright bad start for the first half hour or so. It's kind of a rough first act because they have to set up a lot of stuff. The villain is exceptionally weak, like maybe second worst mm -hmm. in the MCU behind Thor The Dark World's Malekith. Uh, and that's not Ray Winstone's fault. That is the intentional structure of the movie, which we'll talk about later again. The pacing is up and down, but there's a pivot point halfway through. And I'll just say it's like when David Harbour becomes more involved, that the movie really picks up steam when it puts all of its characters in the same room, when it starts to make the plot move a little bit more forward. That's when I had more fun. I think it's a good, like, one-off adventure. It in the larger context of everything we've seen so far, it's okay to have adventures like this, but it really doesn't have a lot of relevance anymore except for setting up a couple of things going forward. 
this would have this would have been a great phase one MCU movie. It's a fine phase four MCU movie. Exactly. It lost a lot of its luster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, I am still positive on this quite a bit. I had a good time with it. Yeah, I'm I'm more positive on this than I am F9. I'm also more invested in the MCU, like a lot more. But um, <laughs> not that this movie is a, a disappointment, but I was hoping to be a little bit more, I don't know, thrilled and excited and, and engaged. It's just... I don't know. I it does it definitely adds to the MCU because you know Natasha starts as this assassin who's done a lot of bad, a lot of killing and assassinations and all kinds of really brutal stuff, and she gets a complete one eighty by obviously being Avenger, but in in here tackling her past and kind of you know it helps her right her wrongs a little bit. And I think again, there's more to that in spoilers, but it ends up being a really interesting arc for her to fulfill and kind of close yeah I'm, I'm about in the same boat there i like what you said about the the story beats here drew i think the beginning's a little rough and i thought the i thought the ending was a little weak too so we'll obviously get into that in spoilers i think it's just the biggest shame is that i think black widow's characters are one of the less interesting aspects of this movie and that's a problem when that is the title of your movie so I'll, I'll defend myself a little bit more once we get there. Which it's odd too, because for me, she's one of the more intriguing pieces about some of the other ones. Like when she's a supporting mm-hmm. role, and maybe it's just the tantalizing idea of, you know, like what what she can be. And now that we actually have a reveal of like knowing everything about her, it's not as interesting. But like, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that. I think Scarlett kind of gets the short end of the stick here. Uh, in favor of setting everybody else up. And that's a little bit of a shame considering this is this is 95% chance that this is the last time she's playing this role. But there, there are good things to be had throughout. Um, one thing I thought was really cool and that I liked what they eventually did with it was the uh, Taskmaster henchman uh, villain uh, who is basically mm-hmm. this kind of robot-esque android thing slash mysterious person behind a mask that can mimic the actions of all the Avengers when you upload it into their system. Uh, and I thought that made for a cool couple of like action moments. I disagree with that one a little bit. I feel like that was wasted potential written all okay. over it. But Spoilers for that one. Yep. Mm-hmm. This I think we can go into rate, uh, ratings because like all things MCU, it needs to be expanded upon in spoilers. Uh, I'm not going through the seed scale again. Jake, what would you give Black Widow? So this one I was a little more torn on. Um, so I'm going with a high-end wooden seat with room for improvement. I could see this movie being better a second time around or, you know, upon rewatches, seeing that it adds to this a little bit or adds to that a little bit or things that might not have worked or felt weird the first time were better the second time. So this could be promoted to a plush recliner in the future, but right now I'm sticking with a high wooden seat. And same thing, go see it in theaters, the bag of popcorn moniker. Um, you know, I know Disney Plus has it for 30 bucks, but... Go, go buy yourself a movie ticket and some popcorn and, and see it in theaters. It's it's worth it. There's some pretty good action. You know, Marvel is top of the line with money, so you're going to get your effects worth. Yeah, we'll we'll take it from there shortly. And Nate will take it here. <laughs> yep. Um, I'm also going to give this one a wooden seat. Between the two movies that were reviewed tonight, this is definitely the better of the two. Yeah, agreed. Um, so just because they share the rating does not mean that they share the level playing field. I, I will give this one the bag of popcorn moniker. I do think this is just the overall more universally enjoyable movie. And I will say that, obviously, 
if you do your prerequisite Marvel homework before seeing this, you're going to have a much better time. But I also would say that this is not one that requires it. It does stand alone on its own pretty good, and I think there might just be like one or two things that you need like your nerd friend to explain to. But for the most part, I think you can go into this fairly new to the MCU and still have a good time with it. And I think it will make people watching this through the first time in chronological order make a little bit more sense. But on its own merits, I'm going to go wooden seat. Enjoyed it, but I think this could have been better than what it was. Um, I'm kind of like Jake where I'm in between. I I don't know. I, I think for consistency's sake, because I'm looking at other MCU movies that it's around, I'm going to go like low-end plus recliner on this because I did find myself pretty entertained for the... the vast majority of the film in the second half. I, again, it's going to be a thing where I, I agree with pretty much everything you guys say in terms of criticisms, uh, but I just had like a better time with it, I think, which is, it seems like a, that's a common theme for me in general. I just enjoy movies. <laughs> <laughs> Nate and I are all cynical over here. He's been deprived here. for a year. You're going to have to give him, give him a little bit. Uh, uh, I, know, I don't get think him back so. On his... I think I would still have this opinion <laughs> pre-pandemic as well. I It's just, it's just <laughs> odd. Um, that this is coming out now. It, it's odd when it sits next to all the Disney Plus shows as well, because I feel like this would have benefited from a longer format as well. Like, this could have worked better as a miniseries than a solo movie, but we've been waiting to see her have her own movie, and it delivers on the spectacle it needs to. It's a satisfying, if not fully satisfying, end for her character, and a, a nice tease to what's to come. Like, it pretty much has all the same problems that most of the MCU movies do. And we'll get into those here in spoilers. If you've not seen Black Widow, obviously tune out now. If you have, let's jump in. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! So the way the movie is structured, and, and the MCU has gotten a lot of flack for their villains in the past, where they've been criticized for having weak villains. I don't think that's been true for a while. Maybe since Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I mean, they haven't had there are some that have been kind of weak, but this is this is back to old MCU days with Dreykov, played by Ray Winstone, who we don't even see interact with Natasha until like the last half an hour of the movie, because his location is a big part of the mystery of the movie. Which which I found mm-hmm. odd. Yeah, it would have been nice to at least even get some flashback scenes where she has to... Where she's not a child. ...know yeah. just how menacing this guy is. Because, yeah, there there needed to be some interaction prior to that moment because just meeting him for the first time, it, it wasn't working. It was like... We didn't do that with Kill Bill, even though they probably shared the same amount of screen time. We still had build-up to get to that point. Right. And they did such a good job setting up the threats in front of Bill that it kind of built his mystique for him, right? This, mm-hmm. this is just kind of like there's Taskmaster and then lesser Black Widows than our Black Widow, and that's it. Yeah, he's yeah. he's basically like his whole menacing reputation is like he's hard to find. He's the man behind the curtain who's in charge of anything, and also he's hard to find. And we're like, okay. Mm-hmm. And so, as we <laughs> find out, hard to kill. Right. Well, I don't know right. how pheromones work in the real world. That seems a little far-fetched to well, me. E- even as far as like like structuring your villain goes, if you're going to have this this plain not plain, but this this average ordinary man, you know, with no superpowers, you have to, you know, like 
dude Civil War like a little bit. Daniel Bruhl is constantly implementing plans to take Avengers down and set them up. This guy is just like hiding in his castle in the sky, sending his woman assassins out to kill people, and I don't know, like like twiddling his thumbs in his office, kind of. I don't know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, it's just not memorable. Although I will say, with the pheromones thing, the the moment if I'm gonna pick one moment to remember about this movie, it's Widow breaking her nose on the table. Like, oh man, that was pretty graphic for gross yes. and like a you actual unique solution. As opposed to just fighting and shooting and kicking and whatever the rest of the action 100%. Like, yeah, I will give it the creative part there of, like, how to outsmart the bad guy. That's that's up there in terms of just unique ways to to do it. Um, and we also even got her Black Widow moment. Um, her interrogating him by pretending to be scared the whole time is very akin to what she did with Loki in the first Avengers. Um, even uses the same catchphrase there. That was very quintessential Black Widow. Yeah, there. I like that a lot. She got that moment. Mm-hmm. Even at, even early early Avengers, like her first scene, she she's being interrogated by Russians, and she gets a phone call, and she's like, "Could you give me a minute? I'm in the middle of a mission. This idiot is telling me everything." And the guy's like, yeah. "What?" It's actually funny you bring back the first Avengers because I just rewatched parts of it with her in it, and Loki brings up Drykov and the death of his daughter, like so. This is oh, really? this is an expansion of a mythology that has been set up already. Hmm. Um, I mean, this is the red, cool. this is her confronting the red on her ledger, basically, is what it is. And of course, this is a good pivot for us, Nate and I, to yell about Taskmaster, uh, because I thought <laughs> I thought Taskmaster was an interesting adversary, maybe a little underutilized. But then I thought it turned took a really interesting turn that I I'd, I'm sure fanboys uh, were not very happy about, where they make it. So that the resurrected daughter of Drykov is Taskmaster, played by Olga Kirilenko, who's played a Bond girl before. I thought that was a very interesting path to take it with, so that she's literally fighting something that has haunted her for a long time. Yeah, I was cool with that aspect. I just was like, Taskmaster is supposed to be, like we said, this this you know this mirror, this mimic, this freak assassin that can emulate almost any fighting style up to the point where it's got like. Black Panther claws, worthy adversary with a sword and a shield and a gun and a fist fight. Like, he, she, it can fight anywhere, anything, anytime. We barely get him. He, her, he, technically she, her. I I think Taskmaster was a guy in the comics. Um, Yes, he was. But like, he gets, she gets a pretty cool fight scene in the bridge to open with. Then there's just barreling of cars in a tank. They they cut the fight scene with Red Guardian, which I was flabbergasted by. I didn't understand what that. I was furious at that. And they teased it. That's like rule number one of news. You don't tease something and not show it. Like, well, what? <laughs> yeah, yes and no. I, I agree that the editing was really weird. There, the editing in the second half is really weird, and another spot too that I want to bring up in a bit. Yeah, well, yeah, I need to yell about Taskmaster a little bit. Go. I <laughs> I liked the idea of a villain that you don't want to kill. I thought that was a a nice final bit that Natasha had to try to do. Uh-huh. I wish it wasn't as simple as just getting her to take her helmet off and spraying her with mist, and they did something as creative as nose breaking to get to that point. But is what it is. But I I think that's the part that annoyed me the most is that so much potential in that character and so many callbacks potentially to MCU stuff, and they made her a very very boring villain to watch 
from the first point that we are introduced to her, she's very much like autonomous drone, almost like a Terminator, where it'd be very simple to try to fight Natasha and then get the thing you want instead of almost killing Natasha and then getting the thing you want and then being surprised when she gets kicked again. I, I can't stand that when villains do that. And then, like you said, Jake, all the fight scenes, it seemed like, could have gone on for just a beat longer or shown us one more flashback to, like, Black Panther or Spider-Man doing something cool before you cut away. Um, but they were all just so short. It just w- left me wanting more and frustrated that we didn't get more, especially with David Harbour, I think. Yeah, I was excited to see, going into this movie, I was excited for Taskmaster's uh, fight scenes. And I thought they were pretty pretty lacking as a whole. Mm-hmm. Right, this movie in general, as is the case with a lot of MCU movies, and this is one of the shorter ones. This is just barely, I don't even think it's two hours and 20 minutes. But we were talking about the problems that we have with the first act, and it just takes too long to get into what the crux of the best parts of the movie are. Um, this movie has to set up the entire flashback at the beginning, which is fine. I thought that worked as an opening sequence. Set them up as mm, like a sleep. A little long, but yeah. yeah. Set them up as a sleeper yeah. cell family. Set up why she would not want to talk to Alexi or Yelena after all this time. It has to set up Taskmaster. It has to set up Yelena herself. It has to set up the other flashback with her killing the villain and the daughter. It has to set up the entire Widow's program and that it's still active and what it takes to break them from this mind control. It has to set up the mind control Anyway, it has to set up her friend, uh, whose name is Rick Mason, which I didn't know that watching the movie. That That's her private <laughs> contractor, who apparently she has a big, long history with, but we've never heard about before. Uh, that guy is in Handmaid's Tale. He does a good job in the role, but the, like the role is kind of underwhelmingly developed. Um, and introduce all the family and characters. And introduce all the family <laughs> characters, right. Which, it's just like, oh my God, like, this, this is where, like, a four to five episode miniseries might have helped this a little bit. It would have minimalized the actual blockbuster impact of the action scenes and stuff, but it might have helped in terms of pacing. Uh, and the movie for me doesn't get really good until they break Alexi out of prison. Mm-hmm. I did like that. Yeah, I, I think this movie's a bell curve where it's a rough intro, a rough outro, but the middle parts where the families getting back together are strong. It, definitely the best parts, I would agree. Yeah, and I was going to say, I kind of like bits and pieces of each. Um, but that being said, I, I would like to talk about David Harbour a little bit because I thought he was really, really fun in this, and I was hoping that he would be good after his failed Hellboy attempt. Uh, I was hoping for he would get something like this. Oh, God, he, he, doesn't, and, want, he doesn't want you to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, my apologies. <laughs> um, so we know he's a super soldier after the, the opening scene when he's – he casually tosses like an army truck with his hand, trying to move it out of the way for a plane. And I, w- I thought that was a pretty awesome, just quick split second scene, like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But then he, they cut to him in prison and he's just laughing at these gigantic men as he's beating them in arm wrestles and getting tattooed. Like he's clearly the king of the prison and he's just he's lost all motivation to care about anything. And then when he breaks out, I thought that was a pretty good scene, too. Like he's just he's really fun to watch the entire time. His fake feud with Captain America was fun like Which, I think he just pulls it off let's be clear he's definitely making that up right like the timing doesn't work about it he just sounds like he's 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 lying right he might have he might have faced off the black car- the, the black Captain America that was oh. introduced in Falcon Winter Soldier it's, that's my yeah, not not Steve Rogers himself okay I can buy that I think mm-hmm. he's lying is my interpretation <laughs> well. or like it could be part of what was his super soldier serum in like 
because they've never been able to perfect it again since Steve Rogers. His might come up with hallucinations or just going crazy. Who knows? Or he's just insecure. Steve Rogers gets all this credit as, as a super soldier. I'm one too. I have glory on the battlefield. But then that ends up being all he cares about. <laughs> he either. was by far and away the biggest beacon of humor through the movie, mm. um, which got dark at points. Like this whole story essentially revolves around a child trafficking ring when you really sit down and think about yeah. it. <laughs> which they set up with the a very could have been effective, but very clumsy opening credit sequence with. I, I don't know who sanctioned that cover of Smells Like Team Spirit, but it takes away from how creepy <laughs> what actually is happening. I think it would have worked if it was half as long. That's what I said. They went through two whole uh, verses and a chorus of that song in the weird cover. I would have been fine if it was just a little bit shorter. Yeah, me too. I also thought Flores P was funny, though, the way she makes fun of Black Widow for her superhero landing. I know it's yeah. a little bit deadpool yeah, she, she definitely had her moments, absolutely. That joke and the joke about the vest was pretty funny, I thought. Yeah, she she has all the best moments. And that's, it's designed like that, obviously, because she is our new Black Widow at this point. Uh, she mm-hmm. will be showing yeah. up and she'll be showing up in the Hawkeye show. The post credit scene gives a little context to her show, like what she's going to be doing in that. There's a little bit of a debate I had with how does she actually think that Clint is responsible for this? I don't think the public knows that Black Widow died on an alien that's, planet. <laughs> that is a, that's a very interesting discussion I've had over the last couple of days with, with my girlfriend and other people. Like, how much does the public know about what happened in Endgame? Because I feel like a journalist somewhere would get like one of the heroes to talk maybe, or I don't know. It's world history at this point, what happened in Endgame, you know? Mm-hmm. Like That's those, true. those <laughs> details have to come out at some point. So I guess they don't That's know true. what happened to Widow is the, is the easy explanation. Even then though, my my thing with that is it's definitely a cool idea. It's a great way to incorporate Yelena into the, the Marvel Universe and create a feud with an already existing character. But for me, that whole thing is undone with simple communication. Like... And I think it's very likely <laughs> that it gets sorted pretty quick. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I hope so. Because within a couple episodes, Ho- hopefully like, one hey, or two. Is it true? Like you know, Clint Barton was responsible for killing my kind of older sister, Natasha. No, they were best friends. She sacrificed herself instead of him. He wanted to. Oh, okay. Conflict ended. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> right. She knows they were teammates on the Avengers, and like they even talk right. about at that safe house in Budapest, where there's the the arrows like that are in the wall so clearly she knows they have history mm-hmm. of fighting together so it's like i don't know i like julie louis dreyfus as kind of the the, an, the anti-hero nick fury basically assembling these characters <laughs> with moral ambiguity yeah but I, it's going to take a little bit of explaining to see how that works out in hawkeye we don't know exactly what she's doing yet so i'll just say give it time to breathe and Ooh, we'll see what happens there. do we think scrolls are recruiting a dark or like evil Avengers with oh, Wyatt Russell and Florence Pugh. <laughs> I don't and think that's crazy, Nate. Abomination from Shang-Chi. No, it's not at all, but it's just going to be one of those things that we won't know until it happens because <laughs> scrolls are just Marvel's get out of jail free card until they decide to do something with them. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have to see on that. Going back to Black Widow proper, we should, we should wrap up soon. I will say about David Harbour, I kind of wish his character had like a little bit of more emotional gravitas. He's kind of just the butt of a lot of jokes. He's like, he's like if Mr. Incredible didn't really have like a, an arc, you know? <laughs> That's a good comparison. I, like I kind of know what you mean, yeah. Uh, Ra- Rachel Weiss, I liked her character a lot. They take a little too long to integrate Rachel Weiss into the action, I would say. First of all, I think face switching is kind of a lazy plot device, so 
when that happened, I was kind of like, all right, I'm, I guess I'll be all right with it. But like, I was the fact okay that with they that go- just because we hadn't seen it in a while and it's very Black Widow brand to do that. True. She did do it in Winter Soldier. So, uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. I don't like how they kept going back to the scene right before the Russians arrived to her farm. They went back like three times to show the whole context of the plan. Mm. It's like you're treating us like an idiot right now. Like we could we could figure out what's going on pretty clearly without going back in time. You even brought up the fact that editing was kind of weird throughout this movie. I think that scene in particular where we know and we're told that agents are coming to the barn because Rachel Rice's character had called them in already. And then we spend five minutes with um, with Florence Pugh and David Harbour's characters, like having this whole singing session and Natasha's not running in there to tell them, hey, we have to get out of here. That editing was very weird, like should have had the emotional arc first and then the oh, by the way, everyone's coming here to kill us or something just to keep that suspense going. Yeah, that's a good point. She didn't inform her her father figure or sister. Yeah, I and it just goes that. on for so long. So it it was just weird editing. Yeah. All right, I've run out of points, guys. Uh, are you guys ready to wrap up here? Where do you What do you guys uh, hold it in terms of like tiers for Marvel? I would say it's lower middle for me. It, it feels harsh to call it bottom tier, but then again, I guess I guess if you take it with like the curve of everything, like for me, Iron Man two, Incredible Hulk, and Thor the Dark World are like their own bottom, bottom tier, like which are movies that are teetering on bad, but are still okay. And then there's like passable to good. And this is in the passable to good near Doctor Strange, near Captain Marvel, near the first Thor. It's in that area. I'm, I'm kind of with you, except disagree on Doctor Strange, but that's another discussion. Yeah, I really like Doctor Strange's yeah, origin story. <laughs> I, do, I do not, but that's fine. I, I think this is pretty definitive bottom tier for me, but when you have... 20 plus movies in your pantheon and you factor in a third a third a third that makes sense to me <laughs> right like i don't know that it's it's bottom tier i don't know that it's like a bottom five movie but agree it's it's lower tier but for marvel that's still not a bad thing and i will i will also say i liked all three miniseries better than this yeah not an apples to apples comparison but i really liked wandavision i had a good time with falcon and winter soldier and i think we'll talk more about loki in the future but I've really been intrigued by a lot of the stuff they're doing there. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed there. If we're going to pivot over to final thoughts, because I think I'm ready for it. Yeah. Let's do it. Yep. This movie was enjoyable. It was a good standalone movie for Black Widow. I'm glad I'm glad that she has a movie. Um, I'm sad that it came out at this time where I feel like its impact is really diminished. Um, I would have really wished this movie was more solid, good spy movie, and not just a hodgepodge of different aspects of Natasha's life. We can always hope for a better movie. This is the equivalent of landing in the superhero pose and then calling yourself a poser after the fact, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, leave it there. Wouldn't see for me. Enjoyed it, but excited to see what Marvel does next with the rest of Phase 4, because this definitely feels more like a holdover than a new direction. Yeah, and Jake, this is one of four MCU movies come out this year. We've got Shang-Chi next and the Eternals. Yeah, it's then, nuts. of course, Spider-Man, No Way Home. I think history will show that this is the least impactful of the four, no matter good or bad, right? Yeah, I'm like Nate said, this is a bit of a holdover, you know, refamiliarizing yourself with the material almost. Like, it's been a couple of years now, not including miniseries. 
So we're back in theaters. We got a familiar face. We got some familiar action. Now we're going to get two new introductions, and then we're coming way back with a big Spider-Man movie. Move forward with my final thoughts, like Nate was as well. Um, it's kind of like a hodgepodge parts of her life that we hadn't seen yet, and that's, I think, why I think it works better in parts. So, like, getting her a second family, aside from Avengers, I think was really nice because that was always something she struggled with. So she got redemption as a lone loner and assassin. Now she's got two families, and she's a big hero, taking down the Red Room. Um, I think it's an interesting chapter in between Civil and Infinity War. Uh, I like that it introduces some new characters, including the new Florence Pugh. Like, it does some stuff really well. But as a as a movie as a whole, it just kind of lacks a little bit. And there's a lot I think it could have improved on. Still pretty good. Marvel's worst is still better than DC's most. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. So, I'll, Blackwood is still pretty good overall. Definitely recommend seeing it. Uh, again, see it in theaters. And I'm definitely, definitely looking forward to the new Marvel movies and excited to see that logo in theaters again. It's fun on my TV, but it's better than the theater. <laughs> I'll second that. I, I th- I'm glad this movie exists. I think it justifies its existence enough in terms of filling in some backstory for one of the most important characters of this entire series. Mm-hmm. So it it won't be discussed. You know, when we're talking about the MCU as a whole, it will be kind of a footnote. Uh, and that's fine because mm-hmm. it's supposed to be just like a filling out of a supporting character. And it works in that context. This is this is a this is an entertaining movie. Most people are going to be satisfied by the basics of what it does. It just kind of does the bare minimum of what it needs to do. It doesn't really go beyond it. And we've got a lot more interesting stuff down the pipe. We're going to be excited to be sharing that with you guys uh, very soon. So marginal thumbs up, I think, for both of our movies today. I, I think a little bit closer to middle for F9 for the two of you. Uh, <laughs> but I digress. That'll do it for this super packed episode of the Middle Seats Podcast. Before we go, Nate Lungarini, where can they find us on the internet? Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. We've got more summer movie reviews coming down the pipe very soon. We're excited to share that with you guys. We've got a lot of movies coming out in the next couple of weeks. As we start the transition to fall sooner than later, it's going to come soon. Then we'll have the Oscar movies to talk about and some of the big blockbusters of the winter. And then 2021 will be over and we'll all be another year older. So congratulations. For Nate Lungarini and Jay Kensler, I'm Andrew Oje. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon. <laughs>